1995, Canadian philosopher John Ralston Saul wrote a great book called The Doubter's Companion, A Dictionary of Aggressive Common Sense. If you haven't read it, I recommend you pick up a hard copy and stick it beside your bed or make it at your bathroom reader. It's a great piece of satire. Here's an excerpt from The Dictionary. This is an entry for White Bread. White bread is the sophisticated product of a civilization taken to its logical conclusion. Essential goods originally limited by their use in daily life have been continually refined until all utility has been removed. Utility is vulgar. In this particular case, nutrition and fiber were the principal enemies of progress. With the disappearance of utility, what remains is form, the highest quality of high civilizations. And whenever form presides, it replaces ordinary content with logic and artifice. The North American loaf may be tasteless, but remains eternally fresh thanks to the efficient use of chemicals. This episode of the Ruminant Podcast, we're talking about wheat, folks, and whole grain bread, and why some of those old-fashioned wheat varieties might be worth a second chance. The Ruminant Podcast is a show for farmers and gardeners, and wonders what good farming looks like. You can find it on iTunes or many other podcast apps, or right at its home website, theruminant.ca. Okay, let's do a show. Hi, everybody. So here's where I'm at. In recent episodes, I've been asking you to phone my Skype number or email me with a cool idea you'd like to share with other listeners about your farm or your garden, some insight you gain that, that you think your colleagues might want to hear about. And guess what? I've started to get some some ideas rolling in, and, and I'm thrilled about it. I got a Skype call the other day uh, that I'm going to be following up on very soon. I got an email from a guy who was having trouble with the Skype number, so he just emailed me his idea, and I'm going to be following up with him pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. But on that note, what I think I'm going to start doing, because I'm trying to keep the episode length down for the main interviews, is I'm going to start releasing short episodes in between the main interviews that feature some of your ideas. I hope you like them, and I hope you'll consider submitting. To do so, you can email me, editor at theruminant.ca. You can phone my Skype number and leave a voicemail. You can phone my Skype number. It's an American number, 310-734-8426. And when you get the voicemail, you can record your idea. Or hell, you know what? If you just want to phone me, you can use my main line, 250-767-6636. That's my main cell. You can phone me, and we'll set up a time to have a short interview over the phone. It'd be fun. As for the main topic this week, as I just said, We're talking about wheat with this lady. I'm Monica Spiller, and uh, I founded the Whole Grain Connection in 2000, and it was based on the idea, on my question, that why on earth do we not eat our grains in the whole form, knowing that whole grains are the healthful form for wheat, for rice, for... Um, barley for whatever. Um, This is the basis for our diet. And from those questions, from that question came the founding of the Whole Grain Connection. Folks, Monica Spiller is a fascinating woman and she gave me a great interview. She's played a big role in bringing back some traditional wheats and she makes a, a really good case for why we should be growing these traditional wheats and and why we really, really, really as a society need to embrace whole grains and and specifically whole whole grain breads. I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll talk to you at the end. 
Monica Spiller, thanks a lot for coming on the Ruminant Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Monica, you've been you've been thinking about and and eating whole grains and and good bread for just about as long as you can remember. Can you talk about the very early part of your life when you first got interested in in whole grains and what what got you thinking about the importance of whole grains in in your diet? That's uh, quite a tricky question for me because uh, I was always interested in whole grains. I looked at an encyclopedia as a child and uh, found a page on healthy eating or healthy foods and there were the whole grains. Um, My acute interest was stirred in the 1970s when I met my husband. He had studied nutrition deeply as a PhD candidate at um, the University of Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, and he was employed to look into liquid diets and the missing component in those liquid diets for special diseases was dietary fiber. And in the 1970s, dietary fiber was uh, almost an unknown substance. We'd heard of roughage by then in the diet, but we hadn't heard of dietary fiber. And uh, there were very few people who had studied it. And among those few people who had really given it a great deal of thought were two physicians, Dr. Hugh Trowell and Dennis Burkett, famous in their own right in Africa, in their work in Africa. They'd been working in Africa for 30 years as physicians. And what they noticed was that the native population did not suffer from diseases such as diabetes. They certainly were not obese. They didn't seem to have the heart attacks that white man had and certainly didn't have constipation and uh, digestive diseases that white man had. But when the same native people went to live in the cities where white man's food was available, they began to suffer from exactly those diseases. And so these two physicians made the observation that the difference between the two diets, the one, a whole food diet, a whole plant food diet, and on the other, in the city, a refined grain diet base, they realized that the difference was part of the plant material that was being ingested. And they suggested that that different material, that that material that was lacking in the cities, could be designated as dietary fiber. Anyway, this this story was brought to my attention when they came to visit the company where I was working with my husband. Um, They came to the company and gave us a a talk, a very, very... um, colorful talk about this very subject and I must say I I turned around at that point and said why on earth do we not eat our grains whole what's gone wrong and uh, from that time on 
I also was an observer and sometimes a participant in the studies and research that my husband took part in, along with, um, I should say, probably hundreds of other scientists. And uh, during that time, until um, 2006, when he passed away, um, I was completely exposed to all the research that was going on that revealed how important it is for us to be eating the whole plant, especially in terms of the grains, which are at the base of our diet. And um, we have at the moment um, an epidemic in the U.S., in the Western world, in fact, of diabetes and uh, increasingly obese people who are likely to become diabetic. And the main cause is the base of the diet being refined flour, refined sugars, and uh, that's that's it. That's that's the the problem that we have in Western society. And so it's it's a difficult topic for many people because refined flowers are so ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Um they, they sure are, Monica. So, so can I ask you to be a little bit more specific? Can we? Can you talk about what's specifically wrong with refined flours in the context of of the different parts of, for example, um, a wheat seed, and and what's what's missing um, when we when we create refined flours? Yes, the refining process involves um, wetting the grain so that the bran, which is the outside coating, it's a very thin um, coating on the outside of the seed. When the, seed, when the grain is wet, then that slips off re- re- fairly easily in the first stage of the refining process. And then the next stage in the process is to remove the germ which is the part of the grain where the sprout occurs, where the germination occurs. And that is rich in oils, very rich in um, vitamin E, which is um, protective, uh, an antioxidant. It's um, essential for um, good reproduction. Um, and also in the germ, there, there are a tremendous number of B vitamins. And the B vitamins are essential for the germinating seed to utilize the starch that's stored in the middle of the grain, which is the endosperm. So in the refining process, they start by removing the bran, which is the dietary fiber part, and then they cut off the germ part, 
which is a source of B vitamins and vitamin E and, and essential oils. And then they're left with the white inside of the grain, which is the endosperm. And that passes to the final stages of the um, flower production process. And it is ground into a fine flour. And the fine flour that is produced is refined flour. And it's only 76% or thereabouts of the original grain. And it is essentially the endosperm. So that part of the grain is mostly made up from a small amount of protein, gluten, and starch, which is a carbohydrate. And those, um, that's it. But if we ingest the, those, the protein and the, and the starch alone, without the benefit of the B vitamins that are underneath the, the bran and in the germ, we do not have the factors that are necessary to complete the assimilation of the starch into the body so that it produces energy properly. Um, if we fail to eat the B vitamins alongside that starch, we only partly use that starch for energy, and the other part goes to fat. So that's, I mean, uh, that's really interesting, because I think... I think a lot of people, you know, I think when they think of, of, of the refining process for various foods, they think of simply a bunch of good nutrition being stripped out. But you're suggesting it goes further than that, that the stuff we do end up eating because it's not coming in combination with these, these other components uh, that have been sifted out, it actually affects the way that the remaining starches are absorbed and used in the body, and and you're suggesting that it, it ends up being uh, used uh, to our de uh, in a more detrimental way in the body. Do I have that right? You do have that right. Yes. Okay. So so you've speaking of of refinement. Um, I as I understand, you said that you've suggested that the year 1880 marked a major turn in the wrong direction in terms of uh, our culture's embrace of refined flowers. Um, what happened back then? What was, what was, yeah, what, what happened back then that, that, that you kind of created this, this, in, in, what in your view is it, is it, was it, was a, was a step in the wrong direction? Well, it was a turning point and it was a turning point that resulted from the introduction into the plain states of the U.S., um, well, and Canada as well, all through the plain states and up into Canada, um, immigrants wanted to grow wheat, um, knowing that it was the base of their diet. And uh, until about um, 1870, the kind of wheat that was attempted in that, in that region, in that vast region, um, failed. And it wasn't until varieties from uh, Russia, to be um, in a broad sense, um, from 
a similar climate in, in Russia were brought by immigrants, the Mennonites, particularly in the U.S. Um, anyway, um, this successful style of wheat, hard red, was a very good bread maker, is a very good bread maker, and it was milled with stones, and because it's so hard, the bran breaks up into tiny pieces. And when you mill uh, whole grains, it's obvious you can see the bran. It's it's in a different um, it's a different texture to the white flour from the center from the endosperm of the grain. The temptation to separate out most of the endosperm has been with us forever. You know, the, 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 the mix of in the flour is, is evident, and uh, bakers and millers forever have sifted out the bran, um, <clears throat> but not 100% successfully, which is a very good thing for us and for our health. But the attempt to do this with to sift out the bran from hard red wheat flour that had been produced by a stone milling process was not completely successful. So the bread that was produced was dark in color. Add to that observation the fact that there are white brand wheat varieties. And uh, before 1870, it was that white grain that was the popular grain. So the breads that people were used to, whole grain or partly sifted, um, were white or at least creamy white. And so here was this introduction into the central part of the U.S., vast area of wheat that was very successful and potentially a huge market, much bigger than the market than the um, market that could be served from California wheat, which was the Vogue before that, and the wheat from New York, which was the Vogue before it was a Vogue in California. The thing is, people wanted white bread. And so when the Central Plains were faced with a wheat that would always produce a dark bread, even if it was sifted, they were alarmed at the fact that they wouldn't be able to sell their grain. So they worked very hard to remove the bran from, from this mix. And the process that they came up with was the roller milling process that I've actually just described. Um, and that is a very thorough process. It's not a sifting. It's a removal of the bran, a removal of the germ, so that the white flour is the only thing that's left. And certainly it makes a white, white bread a white, white, lofty bread, because um, those hard red wheats are very good bread makers. It actually makes a loftier bread than the white brand wheat varieties that people were used to. So 
the drama was tremendous to um, actually have a white, white bread that was very lofty. And uh, this process was enormously popular. So, so Monica, uh, you know, in in your in your summary, you, you you referenced a few times that that a lot of the 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 push to to switch to to roller mills and to to create whiter airier breads came from demand for that. And I have to assume you've spent a lot of time thinking about why why that demand existed so long ago. Like just why culturally we we seem to prefer the the the, the lighter whiter airier breads. I mean, is it just is it just the lightness and flavor, or is there something deeper than that culturally? Like, what what's your take on on why why that demand has 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 existed for so long that brought about technologies like, or at least contributed to bringing about technologies like the roller mill? Well, I think people people have um, always revered purity. That that that's that's one one aspect. But the um, angle that I think has caused us through the through millennia to look at white bread is that um, cooks and bakers and uh, have have always um, tried to please their masters and their masters in most cases have been rich people and so the baker always has been trying to produce something exotic, something different, something fancy, something glamorous. And usually the glamorous and the fancy is something that's that's immediately appealing. And so I think white breads through the ages have been immediately appealing, immediately very delicate in flavor immediately very sweet or or immediately um, daintily colored and so on right okay so monica let's now let's get a little closer to the present now in in the earlier days as i understand of, of your interest in bread baking you focused a lot on on the yeasts and because you were you were doing a lot of work with sourdoughs um, but it was it was sometime, as I understand, in the early '90s when your your attention turned much more to to the to the wheat. Can you talk a bit about about that time? Um, first of all, do I have that right? And and if so, can you can you tell me about this this um, this focus that began on on wheat in in the early '90s? Yes, um, in the 1980s, to, just to go back to de- the decade before, I I thought well. Um, Possibly the reason we, one of the reasons we, we don't have whole grains, at that point this was my thinking, um, one of the reasons may be we've forgotten how to make a, a good whole grain bread. And so um, having studied um, somewhat the um, relevant subjects, I, I looked into the leavening system for bread and of course became fascinated and interested in the sourdough system and learned um, some more about that. Um, We certainly need the sourdough system to bring out the best of the nutritional value of the whole grains. So from my perspective, the acidity that's produced in a sourdough system, for instance, allows for the um, good release of the minerals. Uh, Phytic acid is 
um, worried about by some people in, in whole grains. It's present in all seeds. And it does, within the grain, it holds up the good minerals, the iron, the zinc, um, the calcium, and the magnesium. Um, and the effect of the sourdough is to release those minerals. Um, but then in the 1990s, um, I said, wait a minute, um, the main ingredient in bread, of course, is wheat. And uh, my question then was, what was the kind of wheat that was being grown before 1880, before, they, before the Plain States? and uh, had taken on all this um, hard red wheat. What was the kind of wheat that the stone millers were using? And uh, to cut a long story short, I um, began to grow some of the varieties. Fortunately, I found two educational farms who would let me um, grow these out. What I realized was that these varieties were tall and uh, the plants were large and uh, they had been grown not only for whole grain milling, but they'd also been grown under organic circumstances in that era. And therefore, I said, wait a minute, these old-fashioned varieties could be grown now by organic farmers looking for a cover crop of grain in their rotations. And uh, instead of turning it under, they would be able to uh, harvest it and sell it as um, an unusual specialty crop. And uh, that idea grew into... Um, the start of the Whole Grain Connection as a non-profit. Um, okay, so... Part so, of which so, so, was so. to uh, provide farmer quantities of a, select, a selection of these varieties that I'd been looking into. Um, so. Okay, so so Monica, I want to talk about the whole grain connection in just a moment, but I just want you to reiterate something for me. You spent much of the '90s researching these these older traditional varieties and, and learning as much as you could about the differences between them. Can you just clarify though, like what what it is about the modern commercial wheats that 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 make them less suitable for whole grain baking? And in other words, why these some of these traditional varieties are so desirable in your mind? Yes. Um, modern wheat has been um, bred primarily ever since um, 1900 or 1880. It's been bred primarily for roller milling. So all over the country, even in areas where the white wheat was um, the better wheat to grow, the breeders have bred varieties that would have this um, milling and baking character 
of hard red that will grow anywhere, you know, that will grow in California or would grow in um, New York State or whatever. Um, so modern wheat has been bred for the purpose of white flour milling and the production of white flour for white bread making. Added to which now, um, since the 1950s, it's also been bred to be short so that it um, can maximize the um, yield potential resulting from conventional agriculture. So, you know, we've had um, a century and more of breeding that has been aiming for those characteristics rather than for whole grain stone milling characteristics you... and uh, we run the risk I mean it's, it doesn't mean that modern wheat is inappropriate for organic agriculture it doesn't mean that um, modern wheat is necessarily unsuitable for whole grain milling it just means that the characteristics that would make it good for organic or good for whole grains have not been accentuated so Things like flavor have um, been not been concerned, uh, any concern at all. And the flavor of whole grains is primarily in the bran and the germ. So no, no care has been taken on the flavor of modern wheat. No care has been taken of the fact that a tall wheat would be much better for organic agriculture um, because it would shade out the weeds. Um, what else? Those, those two. That, that's just two. Those are just two characteristics, and, and probably, you know, you can think of others that have been neglected. So it's not that uh, modern wheat is bad in some way. It's um, that it's it's not been um, produced or developed for of the whole grain organic situation. Right. Okay, that makes total sense. Thank you for that clarification. Okay, so then in 2000, all of this research and, and focus you've you've made it culminates in, in you starting a nonprofit organization called the Whole Grain Connection, the main focus of which is the Whole Grain Catalog. So can you talk a little bit about the organization and its, its mission and, and how it operates? Yes. The main focus is not the catalogue, actually. It's that the catalogue is only part of it. The main focus um, is simply to increase the availability and appeal of whole grains. So a good deal of the work that I do is, um, is just that. Um, that's what I'm doing in this, this phone conversation now, um, aiming to increase the appeal of um, whole grains. With regard to the catalogue, the catalogue of um, wheat varieties, the catalogue is an important, it has become an important part of, of what is happening with the whole grain connection. Eventually, 12 varieties were selected. Um, the catalogue has, has a selection of different types of wheat so that people can um, become accustomed to different uh, characteristics. Um, 
the result of having that catalog has meant that uh, farmers who were organic in their efforts and wanted to grow a specialty wheat have seen this as a means to do that. I, I discovered actually that there is a lot of interest in, from farmers to um, grow specialty wheat and to, to grow something outside the commodity system. Um, well, well, Monica, Monica, this, this, this organic farmer that you're talking to is certainly interested. And so I was hoping we could talk a little bit about, about, uh, uh, my own interest in growing wheat. Um, so, so I was, I was thrilled just for that reason to find out about the whole grain connection. And I'm, I'm just hoping to get a little bit of advice from you. So, but I, I need to set the context first, um, to start, it'll be a very small amount of land, very, very small. I mean, I'm, I'm a veggie grower primarily, but I'd like to, this year I have plans to grow um, about 400 row feet or bed feet of wheat in a, in a, in a little field off to the side in, in my production. And to start, I, my goal is simply to grow enough to put in the pantry and, and get started in, in making my own whole grain breads. Um, but but down the line, if this goes well, and if I figure out a way to do this efficiently, I would the, the notion that I could grow enough perhaps to supply a, a, a local bakery is is really appealing to me. So, first of all, on such a tiny amount of land, is, would you encourage me to do this, or or is it, is it a little silly when we're talking about a few hundred bed feet? No, it's not silly at all. It's it's a sensible thing to do. I think any farmer who has not been used to growing wheat needs to learn how the how the plant behaves and uh, whether the variety that they've decided on for their location is in fact appropriate. Um, each there's a tremendous range of variety of of wheat simply because. Um, each variety has its own um, special location. It's been produced to be um, prolific in a particular location. So, so the first thing to do is to uh, choose varieties that would be appropriate for your region or, and for your um, particular soil. <clears throat> and uh, then plant a small amount, uh, some, an amount that you can handle from start to finish by hand. And uh, that's what you're doing with uh, a few rows. Um, <clears throat> you would learn to plant it um, in rows, um, just uh, in, a, in regular vegetable beds. Uh, that's, that's where I started, in vegetable beds, um, with five rows running along the bed, the bed. Um, in other words, the rows are about eight inches apart and dropping the seed into furrows made with a hoe every two or three inches um, and then covering it again with the hoe and then um, choosing, of course, when to plant that's also appropriate for your region. Um, you would um, choose uh, uh, for planting if your rain, your natural precipitation is um, in the winter time, for instance. So, Monica, we've established that it's not it's not silly for me to consider starting out with just a few hundred row feet. And you've 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 briefly described, um, you know, how to go about how to go about planting. Um, 
so I guess I guess I'll just I'll ask uh, I'll ask this question: Is it is it relatively easy to grow wheat? It's very easy to grow wheat. It's 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 extraordinarily easy to grow wheat. I mean, you it just grows, provided you've uh, made the right choice of of variety. Um, I what I should have done, or what I would like to do, is is describe the process of hand of dealing with wheat by hand. Um, you plant it by hand, um, as I've just described. Um, harvesting is with a sickle, a, a small serrated sickle of the kind that's used by rice growers in the Orient. Um, and the heads are harvested when the grain is really ripe. And you know it's ripe when, when it's uh, rock hard. You, it's, um, you, you crunch a grain and it's, it's really hard. Uh, it's as hard as the grain was when it was planted. Anyway, it can be harvested in, with this serrated sickle by um, collecting heads into a bag. Uh, preferably a bag that's uh, cotton or canvas. I would avoid burlap um, since that is likely to give an odor to the grain. Um, I would collect the heads into a bag, into a canvas bag or a cotton bag, and half fill it, close the top, and then, in order to extract the grain to do the threshing, I would uh, lay the bag half-filled on a firm surface and scooch. In other words, uh, wear tennis shoes or running shoes and uh, rub the grain back and forth, so that rub the heads back and forth in order to release the grain. Um, that mixture can then be, be winnowed um, in the wind, but uh, you can have more control if you have a fan set on a table um, blowing sideways and uh, a bucket or some container on a chair or on the ground beneath the table, um, not actually beneath the table, um, below the fan stream, and pour the mixture past the stream of the fan so that the heavy grain lands in the bucket and the chaff is blown sideways onto a tarp. Um, you can repeat this and uh, eventually you have nice clean grain ready for dinner. If you're a farmer, you would do these small strips and do everything by hand, decide uh, whether or not that's what you want to grow, and then presuming there's a lot of seed of the kind that you grew, then I would go straight up to um, five acres or some such amount and uh, use, a combine, use a planter for the planting and a combine harvester for the, for the harvesting. Right. Okay. 
can, can you help me figure out then, I mean, at least in a rough sense, like how to choose the varieties that I want to try growing? One of, one of the, the idea, one idea that I wanted to convey earlier was that um, my goal with respect to selecting varieties for California was to select varieties that could be grown without irrigation. Right. Um, and, I, and I did that on purpose because, number one, water's short in California, but um, also it's, um, it's economical. It costs money to irrigate. Right. And uh, wheat is a basic grain. It's a basic food. We can't afford to produce wheat that's expensive. That's one of the things that's, you know, a contradiction that's happened lately. But um, my original goal was was to realize, or rather my original realization was that uh, wheat is a basic food and therefore you cannot, you should not be producing it extravagantly because you can't you, it's impossible to recoup the costs so um, my in your case um, if you have a lot have an easy irrigation that's fine but um, it does cost money to irrigate uh, you know in terms of labor or, or water source or whatever um, so I would aim not to irrigate um, in which case I'd need to know your rainfall. Right, okay. Uh, I'm just trying to look that up right now so I can give you something accurate. Just uh, give me one moment here. And it all falls in, in uh, winter time, I suppose. Uh, quite a bit, yeah, as snow in the, in the winter. Okay, so we're looking okay. at an, an average of around uh, 230 millimeter, uh, millimeters per year. Okay, so um, let me just. So that's twenty-three centimeters, right? Yeah. Twenty-three centimeters. Divide that by two. So it's about it's about um, twelve inches, in my language. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just. Yeah. So it's not very much. Yeah, so, we're looking at between. Um, I'd it say. It may be that um, the only way you can grow is. Um, Through the winter. In the summer. Sorry, I, I, well, you, I, the way I, way I see it is you have two choices. One is to plant in the fall something that can withstand your winter and uh, use all the available precipitation. Or you can plant in the spring and uh, irrigate. Okay. So um, I... the. the type of wheat that I've come to realize is tremendously versatile and useful is spelt. Is, and uh, I think you're another, yet another example of um, where spelt might be um, a good idea. Um, it, it, you would plant it in the fall and uh, I'd, in British Columbia, I don't think you have the severe winters that you get in um, northern Canada, central Canada. So, right? It's correct. Although we do get we do get periods of of cold in my valley down to minus twenty Celsius, which is uh, somewhere around I think. Uh, so I w well, I, I think spelt actually is, is also. Um, does have the reputation of being um, uh, cold tolerant, 
you know, the most cold tolerant of all the wheats. So anyway, I, I, I would choose um, spelt to plant in the fall and um, not irrigate or possibly to irrigate a little just to finish it off. Okay. Um, choosing the variety for your location is absolutely key to, to success. So I would I would go for spelt. The, the disadvantage with well, the, let's give you a big advantage of for spelt is that it's an excellent bread maker. Um, it's just as good, if not better, than hard red wheat. So bakers will um, <clears throat> know how to use it right away. That's mm-hmm. not the case with some of the varieties that um, I've been growing, for instance. Right. Um, so spelt is great for that. The, the only the other side of that is that spelt has been developed. It, it's it's um, it hasn't been completely dormant in in the um, world of breeding, and uh, some spelt varieties have been bred for um, high you know super high yield and um, for animal feed and. Uh, that that's been bred for such um, a goal, such goals, isn't necessarily going to still be good for bread making. So you do need to <clears throat> go for the um, landrace varieties that have been traditional in some region in Europe for bread making. Okay. Um, um, and. So you'd go for a landrace variety rather than um, one that's just as a precaution. It may be some, as I said before, some of the modern ones are fine, but you but you need to check that out. So I would go for spelt. That the advantage is that it would be great for bread making, and uh, but the disadvantage is a small one. Um, when it's harvested, it does not thresh out of the husk. In other uh, words, when you um, put it in the bag and scooch it, what happens is the head breaks up into spikelets, or I should call the head a spike. And then you would recognize that the spikelets are the little pieces that make up the spike. And uh, in each of those spikelets, there is the grain, and it sits there unless you give it another effort to remove the grain from those um, from those spikelets, and uh, it sounds it sounds outrageous that you would have to do that, um, but you should probably remember that uh, rice and oats and barley all have varieties that uh, need to be removed from the spikelets or from the hull. Right. Okay. So there are machines around that are made for um, dehusking rice or dehusking oats or dehusking de- barley. Um, but a rice dehuller is what I've used um, successfully. So and that that equipment is sort of specialized and not very frequently available here in the U.S. Um, but I think it's a difficulty that's easily surmounted. And uh, the result is um, 
a very a very you, you can grow a very hardy grain and uh, produce something that makes a very good bread. Okay, well, well, listen. Um, this this might this probably is a good place to stop at least for now. I think I think if I'm successful in producing some wheat, I wouldn't mind having you back on to talk about um, some advice you have for for baking good whole grain bread. So maybe we can do that in the future. Uh huh. Sounds good. Well, Monica Spiller, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you again for the opportunity. I love to talk about this and tell people. Thank you. So that's it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. And one more time, I'll announce that I've decided to separate out the contributions that I'm starting to to get from you with with tips or advice for your colleagues that I, I can share on this podcast. I've decided to take those and make them into separate little micro episodes that will be released in in between my main interviews so i've already got about three built up thanks to those who have submitted i'm going to be in touch and uh hopefully i'll get more so how do you do that write me an email editor at the ruminant.ca you can call my skype number and record a message that's at 310-734-8426 or Hell, just give me a call and we'll arrange a time to have a short talk. 250-767-6636. I'd love to hear from you. And now I gotta go. Oh my god, I'm so far behind on the farm. Happy farming, everybody. And live life like it was meant to be. trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of thinking some real soul searching and here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong. So we'll run right out into the wilds and graces. We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees. <laughs>